Thank you, uh, Brother Jeremy, Garrett, Nancy, appreciate, of course, those who provide the music for us. We turn to the book of Acts, chapter 16. Acts, chapter 16, we'll begin in verse 16. In the book of Acts, of course, uh, the latter half of the book of Acts, we look at the travels of the Apostle Paul and his missionary team, Paul and Silas. And we look at these missionaries, and you might think, well, these kind of things are activities that happened a long time ago. Uh, but, it, but these things didn't happen just a long time ago. Yesterday, Sharon and I went to a reception up in Magnolia to uh, honor the missionary career of uh, Brother David Dixon. Brother David Dixon uh, had been on the mission field for 52 years, I believe. And uh, he and Shelley packed up a pickup truck fresh out of Central Baptist College sometime in the late 70s and drove down the Nicaragua, down to Central America. And for 50-something years, spanning 52 years, I believe, and 22 countries, uh, all Latin American countries, he's been one of the most faithful and uh, consistent and persistent missionaries that we've had. He has ministered in all kinds of conditions. I remember at Tuara Bay over at the... Uh, the coast of Honduras. You had to wade across a lagoon a lot of times to get to the church, depending on the tide. And a lot of times, if the tide was high, you had to wade across the lagoon. The, the church was, was isolated. And the church was just a bamboo hut with palm leaves on it. Uh, and go from there to, he went then later on in his missionary career to Puerto Rico. And there, wouldn't you know it, he pastored the biggest church in the BMA in Puerto Rico. Planted that church or began to work with that church. They had to build a huge sanctuary. At the groundbreaking or the, the first service at their new sanctuary, over a thousand people. Brand new modern sanctuary. And so all of this time, he was faithful. If there was ever a man that had the gift of tongues, it's David Dixon. He could speak Spanish fluently. Then later in life, he heard some young men on a beach speaking a, a language he didn't know, and he asked them in Spanish, what are you speaking? And these uh, young men were Garifuna young men. Now, the Garifunas, they are, are black people along the coast of Honduras. They are descendants of the survivors of slave shipwrecks. Now, the Garifunas have a very complex language. The men have a language that they talk to with each other. There are certain terms and expressions they use with each other. The women have their own language that they use with each other. And then there's a common language that they use. a mix of Creole, African, Spanish, French, everything. It's, it's, a, it's a very complex language. And he wanted to learn the language. He was at that time the only white man in the world that spoke that language. And he began to learn the language and he went to a, a translator. They said, you've got to go see Lillian Howell, I believe was her, a translator for Wycliffe. And he went and knocked on the door, and she said, I've been looking for you. I just completed translating the New Testament into the Garifuna language, and nobody's here to work with them. Will you work with them? She handed him the first printed New Testament in the Garifuna language. And he learned that language so fluently that the debate was going on in the, uh, 
in the Garifuna world, they had, of course, Garifuna people all over the world, LifeWord had a broadcast ministry. And the debate was raging whether this could really be a white man that could speak their language so fluently. He had that gift. I had the pleasure of, of traveling with David Dixon down to Honduras, down to Guatemala, and we were over there with the, the Garifunas in the Garifuna village, and they're always by the coast. The Garifuna always wants to hear the beat of the waves on the beach when they fall asleep at night. They're always around by the coast. They up to uh, Belize, Guatemala, and they even have a Garifuna congregation up in New York at this particular time. I was with him, and there were people in the crowd, like myself, that spoke English, but not much Spanish. Spanish, but not much English. Garifuna, not much Spanish. Spanish and not much Garifuna. There were people all over. He was conversing with all of us in all three languages at the same time. And so we realized he has used his gifts. And he is he's now retiring somewhat. He retired for about 60 seconds. Uh, after the first of the year, he became the mission pastor of First Baptist Church. And his job now is to formulate mission trips to go to some of these far-off places and encourage and assist so he's still going strong. But when we read these about these people in the New Testament, that work has not stopped, and there's still room for missionaries. There's still room for folks who will go. There's still room for folks who will support missionaries. Uh, it's still a big world out there that does not know the Lord, and that's when we look at this passage of Scripture, let us realize this work is still going on, and we could all be a part of it. Now, as we look at the upcoming year, I think all of us, in some way, not only for the upcoming year, but in our life, we would like to know that we made a difference. We'd like to know that somehow, in our time here on earth, we've made a difference in our corner of the world. Now, we may not make a difference in the whole state of Arkansas or in the country, but we can make a difference in our corner of the world, making a real difference and our corner of the world is easier than we sometimes think. And we want to look at how this can happen in Acts chapter 16, verse 16. Would you stand as the scriptures read, please? Now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with the spirit of divination met us who brought her master's much profit by fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. Now when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city. And they teach customs, which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes, commanding them to be beaten with rods. When they had laid many stripes on them, they threw him into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them secretly, securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. 
and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. Immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep, seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. Paul called out with a loud voice, saying, Do yourself no harm. We are all here. Then he called for a light, ran in, fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. He brought them out and said, Sir, what must I do to be saved? They said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in the house. So he took them the same hour of the night, washed their stripes. Immediately he and all his family were baptized. Now when he had brought them back to his house, he set food before them, and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the stories of your workers, of your work, and of your mighty hand. We ask that you would help us to realize we are in the same work, and your hand is still as mighty. Help us to find our place in your plan. And Father, help us always to be a part of it as best we can be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Now, to be quite honest, I really wanted to start in verse 25 because we back up to verse 16 and we deal with, of course, this slave girl that was a fortune teller and that's kind of a distraction, you would think, on the main point of what we're dealing with. But then I realize this is part of the point of how we can make a real difference in the world around us and that is this, stay focused on the priorities because distractions are always abundant. Now, this slave girl became a distraction to the work of Paul and his company. They were going through trying to talk to people about Jesus, and this slave girl kept following behind us, said, these men are the servants of the Most High God. They declare to us the way of salvation. What she said was true, but she was very much not a responsible witness because, of course, she was a fortune teller. Now, it says she had a spirit of divination. Now, here comes a real distraction because we start talking about that and people get real nervous and, and uptight, and I can understand that. But you have to do a little bit of homework, and that spirit of divination, quite literally in the Greek, spirit of python. Now, the Greek says python. It's spelled like python. Snake. Now, this was a Greek false deity associated with Apollo. Now, you remember, of course, in Greek mythology, they had at least 12 deities. 12 of them. And you can name all of them. There's Zeus and Poseidon and all these things. There's 12 of them. They considered these to be gods. People lived in fear of them. That's a key point. They lived in fear of them. It was all confusing because they have these stories about how they interacted with each other and how they interact, Greek mythology, and they were all false gods, make-believe, false gods. But this girl was considered to have that spirit of Python, which was, of course, the spirit of fortune-telling. Now, her presence that day 
was a distraction to the Apostle Paul because she was not a credible witness. She was distracting from their witness. Now, there's a lesson here. If we're going to claim to be part of the work of God, like she seemed to be claiming, we'd better be a credible witness or we are doing more harm than good, right? So we have to understand this whole issue could become a distraction for us, right? This whole issue. Because you look through the New Testament, you look at this issue of demon possession, you look, of course, of all these things, and you begin to get the kind of distraction because we start focusing on the uncertainties. Now, before we go any further, let's get to the certainty. When we start talking about the spirit world, we start talking about demon possession, we start talking about all this, Hollywood doesn't help. You should forget about all that. Let me tell you the biblical perspective. And I'm going to get that distraction out of the way because this was all the reason they were thrown in jail. In Ephesians chapter 6, there is an interesting passage of Scripture. In Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. The Bible is very honest about this part of the world, the things we can't see, and here's what it says. It says, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Sounds a bit unsettling, doesn't it? But it's very honest about that. But you have to read the whole passage, and in verse 10 it says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Now we're changing the focus because as long as we focus on what's going on in verse 12, it could be a bit unsettling. But focus on what's going on in verse 10, we stand in the power of God's might. Then he gives us the weapons to stand with. If you look, of course, the whole armor of God. How effective are these weapons? They're not just get-by weapons. If you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. Short passage of Scripture. Very powerful. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Now, that word carnal means visible, fleshly, not in our own strength. But notice what it says. It doesn't say the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but spiritual. Look what it says. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but look at this, mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity of God and the obedience of Christ. The weapons we have are mighty to pull down stronghold and can pull down everything that exalts itself against God. Why? We're not standing in our strength. We're not standing in our individual strength. We're not standing in our collective strength as the church. We're standing in the strength of God. And our weapons are mighty in God. So, one more passage to put it all into perspective. 
Philippians chapter 2, verse 9. recently read this passage of scripture, but it comes into play here because it's important to get the biblical perspective of the distraction that we're dealing with with this whole issue of the slave girl and the spirit of divination and fortune telling and all those things that go with it, even in our current age. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 9, therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above all name. Now listen to this closely. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven, of those on earth, and of those under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There is absolutely nothing, no matter how hard to understand, no matter how unsettling, no matter how many possibilities that Hollywood can weave into some of this stuff, there's absolutely nothing stronger than Jesus Christ and every knee, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Now, John said it in the book of Revelation this way. In the book of Revelation chapter 17, all of this has banded together to war against Jesus Christ. Every single power of darkness, every single country on earth, every single one of the most mighty people on the world, all of this, including the Antichrist, all of this has come together to make war against Jesus Christ. And it says in chapter 17, verse 14, the Lamb will overcome them. He is the Lord of lords and the King of of kings. In case we didn't understand it the first time, chapter 19, verse 10 says this, and written on his robe was his name, and the name is the King of kings and Lord of lords, and at that name, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. Now, what's that got to do with keeping focused on the priorities? We get sidetracked by the uncertainties in life. Sometimes it's the uncertainties we we can see what's going to happen tomorrow. What happens with this situation? What, something's going on at work, and I'm nervous about that. Something's going on with my finances. I'm nervous about that. Something's going on with the illness, and I'm nervous about that. Listen to this. This is what the Bible says. Any and everything that can cause us anxiety and fear, God's bigger than that. Even the powers of darkness, those things that really cause us fear sometimes. God is bigger than anything that can cause us fear, whether it's seen or unseen. So let's focus on that, and then all this other stuff. I don't understand how all this works when I read through this, but I do understand this. Jesus Christ is the King of kings and Lord of lords, and every knee will bow to him. Do I need to know anything else? Because I'm standing in the power of his might. I belong to Jesus Christ. And I'm safe in his hand. And you are too. Don't get sidetracked by the uncertainties. Stay focused on the priorities. Now, Jesus said it this way. Don't be nervous about what you'll eat, what you'll drink, or what's going to happen tomorrow. You seek first the kingdom of God, and these things will be added to you. In other words, let's focus on Christ. Let's focus on his kingdom. Let's focus on his work. 
let's don't wade into the weeds of all this other stuff and realize all I know about the real world that we can see and that world that we can't see is Jesus Christ is sovereign rule over all of it. And I belong to Jesus Christ. Secondly, stay connected to the source of strength. Now, it takes, it takes strength to make a difference. It takes strength to live a life of purpose. Where do we find that strength? Well, you have to look at this passage of Scripture, and we realize when, when the Apostle Paul took care of this spirit of Python that was pestering them, and again, I don't understand all of that, what happened is this slave girl could no longer read fortunes, or it was believed she couldn't. And a lot of this had to do with the power of suggestion, what they believed, and so forth. Well, anyway, people weren't coming to the slave girl anymore to read the crystal ball. They were making a lot of money off of it. So they got upset. They got upset, and they dragged them into the marketplace, and they had a little kangaroo court, and they called the magistrates, and they convicted them right then and there, and they whipped them with rods. The rods, of course, are about as big as your trigger finger, about that big. It was like a bamboo rod. Now, you think the switch was bad when you were a kid? These were bad. These would break the skin. These would make welts. These would open up cuts that needed stitches in your back and said they beat them with many stripes. Then they put them in jail. They put them in the inner prison. You ever talked about, they're going to throw you under the jail? Literally, they were in the basement, the inner prison of the jail in stocks. They were shackled. Now, talk about a distraction. Now, I can imagine if it was us, probably we would look at each other and said, well, Silas, that went south really quick, didn't it? <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. Man, our missionary journey is totally a disaster. That went off the rails. This is a train wreck. What are we going to do? It says in midnight, Paul and Silas were praying. When everything goes off the rails, when I, I mean, who would have imagined that several hours before? Who, how'd this happen? You ever have a day turn out like that? How'd this come unraveled so fast? I couldn't even imagine this. It says in midnight, they prayed. Now, we could go into a lengthy two-hour sermon on the power of prayer. We're not going to do that. We're going to stay focused. They prayed. You prayed about it? Talked to God? And why don't we be honest about it? Say, God, this really stinks, and I don't like this one bit, and I'm hurting. They prayed. But then they did something else. They shared some joy in a very dark place. It says in the New King James, they were praying and singing hymns. Now, the King James says it this way. They sang praises to God. But if you look up the original Greek, the original Greek is hymnos. They were singing hymns. Now, you know what the hymns were with Paul and Silas, Jewish people? The song. They were singing the words of the book of Psalms. In other words, at midnight, they were sharing God's word with everybody in the prison. Talk about making the most of a bad situation. They looked at each other and said, well, we came to evangelize 
the city of Philippi, I don't know of anybody that needs evangelism more than these guys right here. Now, a lot of those guys were guilty. They needed Jesus, right? A lot of those guys weren't guilty. They were in despair, weren't they? They needed Jesus. The people who needed the Jesus the most and the people who were in darkness literally because they didn't have lights in the prison and spiritually they were all around. Captive audience. Pun is intended. Captive audience. So they begin to sing these songs and it says the prisoners heard them. King James says it that way. That's more than me just hearing a truck that goes on by the highway. The literal translation is this. They were listening. All the prisoners were listening. And they heard the word of God. You see, two passages come to mind. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy, I believe chapter 2, verse 9, I'm bound in chains, but the word of God is not bound. Christians may be in prison, but God's word will not be in prison. And God's word was not in prison that day. They couldn't silence it. And the people who needed to hear it the most. And then there's that other passage when we talk about our priorities, having to make a stand, having to deal with the uncertainties. Paul said it this way. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God and the salvation. You see, stay connected to your source of strength. Prayer and this right here, and this right here. The biblical perspective will make sense of the most confusing things. Oh, it may not answer every question, as we said before, and all this other things, but the questions that matter the most, they'll give us what we need to get by. And then, thirdly, how am I going to make a difference in the world around me? Keep in mind the love of God. We continue. It says that an earthquake came and all the doors of the prison were shook open and everybody's chains were loosed and the keeper of the prison was horrified. You see, the, the Roman jailers or those who transported prisoners, if your prisoner escaped, somebody's paying this fine. So therefore, if your prison escaped, you took his place. He had... Who knows how many prisoners in that jail? He knew he was in for some serious jail time if all those prisoners escaped. So he sprang in. He thought, I'd rather die right here because I'm sure that some of those prison prisoners was going to have stripes, beatings, stocks. He knew how uncomfortable prisoners could be. He didn't want to face it. And Paul kept in mind the love of God. And you might say, well, that's pretty obvious because he prayed and sang praises to God. Wouldn't it be because God loves me? I'm in this prison, but Jesus loves me. This I know. And we have to keep in mind the love of God. He loves you. He loves you and he cares for you. And Jesus even said it this way. More than anything else, he cares for you. But we're talking about the bigger love. There is a bigger love. For God so loved the world. If we're going to make a difference in the world around us, we need to realize God loves that world. God loves that world. As ugly as it is, 
God loves the world. You see, Paul could say, Jesus loves me, this I know, but he knew Jesus loved that jailer too. That's the same jailer that locked him up in the stocks. He had some discretion of what he could do. They just said, you make sure these guys are secure. He went the whole program with them, stuck them in the inner prison, put them in stocks, their hands and their feet, and possibly their neck was in the stocks and the shackles. I mean, he went the whole program with them. Could have been a little bit of grudge time, you think? Paul knew Jesus loved the jailer. And Paul loved the jailer too. And Paul was concerned, not about the jailer getting what was coming to him and his personal grudge, but he was concerned about his salvation. What can I do to be saved? And, Jesus, and Paul knew what he was talking about. It was not about his circumstances. He said, if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you turn your life around, you will be saved. This is a bright conclusion to a very dark day. We look in verse 29. He called for a light and ran in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You will be saved. You and there's plenty of love for your whole household. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all that was in the house. Oh, what did we say a while ago? Stay connected to your source of power. What is our source of power? Right here. That's our source of power when it comes to making a difference in the world. Not clever stories, not sparkling personalities, not intelligent conversation. It's the word of God. That's our source of power. He spoke the word of God to them. And he took them the same hour of the night. He washed their stripes, talking about the jailer. Immediately, he and all his family were baptized. Now, when he brought them into his house, he set food before them and rejoiced. Listen to this. Having believed in God with all his household. There's the bright spot at the end of a dark day. The whole house got saved. And his whole house was rejoicing. You see, Paul made a difference. Paul made a difference. Stayed focused on the priorities. Stayed connected to his source of strength. He, of course, remembered and kept in mind the love of God. And then after that, of course, he shared that and made a difference, a big difference in the life of this man. It says that at that same hour they were baptized. They were baptized, why? Because they had just gotten saved. They had just gotten saved, and that baptism was out in some public area. There, somewhere around midnight, they all got baptized because they had been saved. They had believed. You can say, well, it's, it's easy for us to look at the life of the Apostle Paul and say, well, sure, the Apostle Paul would make a difference. Look at his dedication. Look at his credentials. He was one of the most highly educated Jewish people around. Look at his credentials. Look at his persistence. Look at his, his, his zeal. And you say, sure, he would make a difference. And look at his experience. How long had he been a Christian? You'd think by now, surely he had made a big difference. But oh, don't miss the rest of this story. It says the jailer took Paul and Silas and washed their wounds. They were nasty. 
because jails were filthy. On the bottom of the jail was filthy est. And they were down there with their open wounds. And the jailer came and washed their wounds, welcomed them into a comfortable house, and gave them something to eat. The jailer made a big difference in his corner of the world. How long had he been saved? Minutes. Minutes after he was saved, he was making a difference. Have we started making a difference? How long have we been saved? Are we making a difference? We may say, I can't make a difference because I'm not like the Apostle Paul. Oh, yes, but we've got everything that this jailer had, don't we? He had zero experience. Very little knowledge of Scripture, but he had enough to get him saved. He knew enough about Jesus to say, oh, these guys need some help. Let me do this for them. Cleaned them up. Welcomed them into his home and gave them some food. I don't know about you, that would make a huge difference. An hour before, they were in the total darkness of a jail, chained up. Now they're in the jailer's house, all washed up, and they're eating supper. What a difference! The jailer made that difference because he had found Jesus. And you see, we can make that difference. But we have these steps. So I ask the question, we're praying for an invitation of him. Are you making a difference? First and foremost, do you have the Jesus in your heart that will help you make a difference? Have you been saved? All this was because God wanted to reach a lost world there in Philippi. He wants to reach you too. What can I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Is that a reality in your life? Can be today. Can be today. Then let's, let's talk about us who have been saved. Maybe a long time. You're making a difference? Don't say you can't. This jailer did. We can. Let's make a difference in our corner of the world. Whatever decision you need to make to get it right with God, let's make it this morning as we stand and sing. What number?